You're listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Hi, and welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. I am here with uh, Mary Clark and myself, Andrew Berkshire. Mary is from For the Win, and I am an analyst for the Montreal Gazette. And also, I host a show called Game Over on the SDPN Network. Or I guess that's, I just said the Steve Dangle Podcast Network Network. But uh, yeah, so today's show is sponsored by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. We've got a packed show today. We're going to talk about the continuing saga with uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, with Joel Quenville and Kevin Dayoff and the results that happened out of that situation. Uh, go through some wild early season statistics that's always fun because everybody loves the chaos at the beginning of the season and talk about the extension that Morgan Riley signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs but first Mary how was your weekend good uh it was a busy time uh it was Halloween I didn't really do anything for Halloween but as I'll talk about in the pop culture segment I went uh to New York with my family to see a Broadway show so that was fun uh, so I had a very good weekend. Uh, my work schedule is all flipped around now. So instead of, uh, we're recording on Monday. So instead of Monday being my Friday, uh, I just, Monday's now, I guess my Tuesday because I now work Sunday through Thursday. So it's a bit of a different, uh, work schedule for me that I'm starting to get, to get used to, but, uh, we're good. We're good. Um, can't complain too much. Uh, I'm now, uh, starting to go into Christmas mode because that's how I am on November 1st. November 1st. I mean, I... Even like a couple weeks ago, there was already Christmas stuff showing up in stores. And I was like, can we cool it a little bit? Wait till November 1st. You've already seen like the the Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. We watch like the Google Trends every year. And the, the uptick has started. Yes. It has started. It has begun the Christmas season. I love the Christmas season. I really do. Uh, the, yeah. the whole holiday season. I, I don't uh, ascribe to the religious part of it, but uh, I love me it's some Santa the, Claus. It's the It's everything around it. That's nice. The the atmosphere, the feelings, uh, you know, giving gifts to people, all that kind of stuff is just nice. Uh, and the traditions and all that stuff. So I get it. Uh, I'm not really one for the religious part of it, too, anymore. But, you know, I I like a good I like a good holiday season. It just makes me feel good and fun things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So. But I get it if you're a person that hates uh, someone like me that goes full Christmas on November 1st. I get it. I do kind of like having a little bit more fall time. So I probably won't put up my tree in my room uh, for another like week or so. But it's coming. It is. It is absolutely coming. Yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, I was asked by Dylan earlier in the weekend if we could decorate earlier this year. Because I think last year I didn't do anything until like December. Because mm. I think it was like up in the air what we were going to do and whether family was coming or not, and I was just lazy. But uh, this year, I think maybe next weekend, we might put some stuff up because the kids love the lights, right? And yeah. it's just nice. It's a good atmosphere. I was thinking about it the other day because, like, as we both said, we're not really, like, onto the religious side. And, like, Christmas is where it is because of the whole winter solstice, right? That's where it was put. Like, if you're a biblical scholar... You know that uh, according to the descriptions in the Bible, Jesus was actually born in and around March, like in the spring. So Christmas was put where it is to like incorporate what people already celebrated at the time, which was the winter solstice. But the more I think about it, the more, especially living in Canada, I think Christmas is like that thing that you really look forward to. 
And it happens really right when it starts to get really cold. And then you have the rest of the winter (laughs) to get through. I feel like as a society, we should get together and just be like, let's move the holiday season into like beginning of February. We don't need it this year because we have the Olympics. But like in the future, let's let's get together on this. Great minds come together, agree on something, move it into the middle so that we can get through winter a little bit easier. What do you think, Mary? Yeah, I agree. Because usually it is this time. I've said it before that this time of year is my favorite time of year from uh, October 1st to uh, basically January 1st is my favorite time of year in terms of like, um, you know, the weather, the holidays, like there's so many holidays. I mean, Halloween just happened. Uh, American Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Uh, then, you know, you have Christmas and um, Hanukkah and all the other, you know, winter-based holidays. But then once we, really, once we hit January 1st after uh, the new year, uh, there's not much happening. So then it just becomes boring, sad winter time, uh, And that goes on for way too long. Uh, and it's too cold. Uh, so I completely agree here. I'm absolutely up for shaking up the, you know, the calendar just so winter doesn't feel as long as it does. Because, boy, is it long. And I can only imagine what it's like in Canada. I mean, here in Pennsylvania, it's, you know, it feels too long, but Canada is probably much, much worse. Yeah, it's not as bad here on the East Coast as it was growing up out West. Like, Mm. it really seemed like when I grew up in Saskatchewan and Alberta, it was like August 15th hits and you're already getting a little bit chilly. Yeah. And here it's like half the time we don't even get snow until late December. So that's not so bad. You know, you can you can live with that. It's all right. Mm-hmm. But uh, by February, mid-February, it starts to get really rough. And then like in March, I always think March is going to be warmer than it is. Yeah. And it just never, it never is. You like get, still get the snowstorms in March. It's like icy. And here it gets really slushy as it starts to warm up. And that just freezes your bones. But yeah, I think... Cross-check NHL show, official stance is we want to move Christmas and the holiday season to the beginning of February. This is the controversial take that we're putting out there (laughs) for this episode, (laughs) but I suppose we should probably get into the hockey stuff because that's what people signed up for. Well, you know, people signed up for us, right, Mary? Yeah, I would hope so. I would hope so. And our uh, incredible takes about uh, where the holiday should be placed in the calendar. (laughs) But uh, I think we could move on to hockey. Yes, we can. a good combo. All right, so luckily right now as we're recording, because uh, we record on Mondays for the Tuesday show, Gary Bettman is currently in the midst of doing a press conference talking about the whole situation with Joel Quenville and Kevin Dayov. And uh, I'm, I'm just going through some of the quotes here because there's some really, really bad quotes from Commissioner Gary I'm not surprised. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, after, you know, Jonathan Taves put his foot in his mouth, essentially, uh last week um it is it's not great i mean i'm reading them too because they're kind of it's kind of been happening live as we've been on the podcast um but it is uh it doesn't look great from the nhl's perspective just from the you know cursory glance i've given to it all yeah it's not great so uh for starters uh bettman started everything off with an apology to kyle beach i feel like we'll cover this first then we'll get into the other stuff um he said what happened was inappropriate on, and wrong on every level. It was not handled correctly by the Blackhawks organization. Uh, duh. On Joel Quenville coaching the night that uh, Kyle Beach did his interview on TSN, he said, should Quenville have coached on Wednesday night? I'm sure people could quibble about that. I feel like calling it quibbling is kind of dismissive. And he said, but he's already coached 867 games at that point, And I didn't want him to think that I had prejudged him at that point. 
that is incredibly stupid. Both both parts of that are incredibly stupid. How many games he'd coached to that point is completely irrelevant because we're talking about what ha- what's going on after this revelation. And also, how many players get suspended bef- like not like you get suspended essentially pending a hearing, right? For a dirty hit or doing something like testing negative or po- testing positive on a drug test, right? You get suspended pending a po- uh, like a follow-up test or a COVID test, right? You get held out pending that. So the idea that you can't hold out a coach pending a meeting or a hearing, what? In what world are we living in where any job functions in that way that like you just allow somebody to keep working pending a, a meeting when they have like a very serious misconduct allegation that makes no sense to me whatsoever yeah and uh, i was looking at other quotes um and you know how we talked about how the um um the nhl finding the blackhawks two million and that being um you know, a lesser punishment than the Coyotes getting fined draft picks and the Blackhawks getting fined $3 million. Uh, According to Gary Bettman, he says, different context, different facts for why those punishments are uh, different. So that is a, that's certainly a quote, too. Um, yeah. It just, yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of reacting live to this because, as we said, this is happening as we are recording. Um, so we're kind of, you're kind of just getting our kind of unfiltered thoughts on this, but it doesn't look good. And to be fair, though, not to be fair to the NHL, but to be fair, just in general, I this wasn't going to be good regardless of what Gary Bettman said. I don't think that there was anything you could have said here that would have made this any better. It's only like, uh, yeah, there's nothing that he could have said, and I really don't care what he has to say, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so done with listening to what the higher-ups in the NHL have to say about covering, you know, what they did or didn't know or how they've handled the fallout of all of this. It's just... I'm just frustrated and done with it at this point. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Andrew, but it's just like, you know, I'm, yeah, it's just, I don't want to hear what Gary Bettman has to say about this because no justice is going to be done to, you know, Kyle Beach and the other survivors. So, yeah, I mean, I think this sport continues to be very difficult to be a fan of, Mm -hmm. right? They make decisions that alienate large percentages of their fan base, on seemingly a daily basis. It's incredibly frustrating. I will say there is one good thing that came out of Bettman's press conference so far, and that was that he said, uh, Bettman said that uh, the league will engage an outside firm to audit the practices put in place to ensure they are effective and appropriate, and that they will be opening up their anonymous reporting hotline to all levels, including college, major, junior, and minor hockey, to give people an avenue to address these kinds of issues. That's positive. I like the idea of opening up the NHL's resources outside of the NHL itself. I'm surprised that they mentioned minor hockey because to me that means the AHL. And I'm like, the the AHL is often players signed to NHL contracts. They didn't have the opportunity to report to the NHL before, but... Does it mean that, or does it mean like junior hockey? Or I'm obviously there's no. They said major junior, so major, major junior okay. is like CHL, OHL, WHL, QMJHL. Minor hockey is usually referred to as the American Hockey League. All right, that's, that's interesting. If that if that's not that they're making the distinction now, if that wasn't a thing that you know that hotline was available to before, but not to say that I, I don't know. It's it's good that that's 
they're giving more, um, you know, organizations avenues to report this kind of stuff. But it's like, will it be used uh, in the correct, proper way? We'll have to see. Like, yeah. we'll just, yeah, we'll just have to see uh, what it does um, in the future if this is a good step to, you know, preventing and, um, you know, taking action on things before it spirals out of control. And we're talking about it 11 years uh, down the line like we have with this story. But... We shall see, I think, is the is the biggest thing I can say from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, Batman also commented on Kevin Sheveldayoff and the lack of uh, anything in concern to him. And he said that Ke- uh, Kevin Sheveldayoff was a very minor uh, player in all of this. Uh, that Kevin Sheveldayoff was the only person who placed himself in the room. And that when he left that 20... 20- or that meeting on May 23rd, 2010, he believed his bosses would investigate Brad Aldrich and that the res- resignation was the result. Listen, it might, like, from what I've read of, you can probably see that I'm super frustrated, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if that doesn't come across in the audio, Andrew is super frustrated just yeah. by, you know, his facial expressions and general, you know, yeah. body movements. So from what I've read, Kevin Shevelday was like the capologist kind of thing for the Blackhawks at this time. He was the assistant general manager. So he's not necessarily heavily involved in interpersonal issues, right? So I understand that side of it. But from what I understand, the tone of the meeting that took place on May 23rd, 2010 was that they would not be doing anything about it, right? Like, Joel Quenville was like, we can't deal with this right now. We've sacrificed too much to come together as a team on this Stanley Cup run. So, like, this is... They very clearly shelved it, right? And I understand that maybe Kevin Sheveldayoff thought that his bosses would handle it. This is what Stan Bowman said as well, that he thought his bosses would handle it, which is crazy because he's the general manager... But this constant passing of the buck from these guys who are in management, like, I'm, I just, have any of these people ever managed anything? Like, there is no company in the world where a manager can just say, okay, I guess somebody else will just handle it, and you never circle back. Like, the fact is, yes, you could say that Kevin Sheveldayoff thought his bosses would handle it, but that handling it included allowing a sexual predator to stay on the coaching staff, continue to work with the Black Aces, including a player who reported that they'd sexually abuse them for the rest of the playoffs. What? Like, in what world is that like, well, you know, he did what he had to do and he wasn't really that involved. He knew. He knew and he was a shot caller. So, like, I understand if the NHL doesn't feel like this is enough to cut Shovel Day off out. And like there I guess we can debate on that whether it is or not. But bystander syndrome or not, at a certain point, every single person in that management group has to be held accountable for the fact that they did nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, it's frustrating. It really is. Um and like I think you said bystander syndrome is a really good way to way to put it here. Um because he was assistant general manager is was his title, and I know you said that it may have been different things, but that's still a title to live up to. It you is. still have you still are part of the front office and are part of that 
management group, quote unquote, even though you don't do a lot of like, like managing, if that makes any sense. Your, your title should mean something in that regard. And it, he he's going to get away with no consequences for it. And still, it just, it is, it's frustrating considering, you know, we've, we, there was, you know, a good row of like um, consequences being doled out. I mean, it, if you want to call it consequences, but punishments in a sense being doled out. It just, you know, it's frustrating that we got to this point and they're like, now we don't have to do anything with him. Like, no, no, he should have to face the consequences of his actions or in this case, inaction. So, well, and I think to, to go beyond Kevin Shevel day off as well, like Stan Bowman's gone. He's resigned. Right. But the Blackhawks organization, uh, WD commissioner Bill Daly says that the Blackhawks first contacted the contacted the NHL last December concerning civil litigation. This is per Elliot Friedman. And the team told the league that the litigation had no merit. Daly said that the league learned of specific allegations after the suit was filed in May. So the $2 million fine that they're saying, you know, different context, different facts from the other things that they've gone on. I'm sorry, but your one of your 32 organizations lied to your face. Like, you, you can't tell me that Stan Bowman didn't know. You know, all these guys who were in the meeting, I I just don't understand how you can accept this, the lesser punishment uh, than, like, the Coyotes letting, having, like, their own combine and losing draft picks over it when your own organization is lying to you over liability, you know, civil litigation. That's insane to me. Like, it's not just Stan Bowman. Like, even on... Like a from a business side, every single person in the Chicago Blackhawks management structure should be out immediately for that situation because the NHL is like a conglomerate, right, of all these different teams. It essentially puts everyone in the crosshairs for liability because they lied. Like everybody's losing out of that pot. They have revenue sharing. So like I, I don't understand how the NHL could just wrist slap over this situation they should be coming down on the Blackhawks so hard that every single team in the league is afraid to ever lie to the NHL, first of all, about something like this ever again, and also to cover up something like this. Like, it, a $2 million fine for the Blackhawks, who won three Stanley Cups, what, what does that matter? It's nothing. They make that in gate revenue in one game. Also, I think they're valued at, like, over a billion, probably. Yeah. They're they're like, I mean they're an original six franchise. They're, you know, one of the more popular franchises in the league. They have a bunch of Stanley Cups as tarnished as they are to their name. Like they're they're you know, it's just, you know, pennies to them. And it is, you know, frustrating yeah. and Rocky Wirtz is worth four point two billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah, just, you know, change. And there is a difference between millions and billions. I know it doesn't yeah. like and I, I I know it's just, you know, different different words, but there is a very considerable difference between millions and billions. Uh, and it it always seems to, you know, escape my mind when we talk about it. But it is the difference is real in that regard. But I think we should maybe step back uh, since we were talking about this and just maybe mention, you know, um, the punishments that uh, came down and also lack thereof that came down after we recorded the podcast for Thursday. Cause I think um, we recorded all of that. And then uh, Quenville was, uh, had resigned later on Thursday evening um, after playing, after coaching a final game behind the Panthers bench, uh, but didn't, 
take any questions from the media. Still don't understand that one. Uh, so he resigned. Um, and then after meeting with Gary Bettman, and then it was, I believe, the day after or two days after uh, when Bettman met with Shovel Day off and then said basically it's like we didn't find him to be, you know, part of like the major, you know, group that was making decisions um, and did not, you know, fine or suspend him in that regard. So that was like, you know, the biggest thing since we were talking about it. But I don't know. Do you have any more thoughts on Quenville or is that kind of done and dusted at this point? Because it's one of those things where the news broke in the weird cycle of our podcast. So, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of stuck on the shovel day off thing right now because mm. of what, what Batman said about it. Like, uh, there are a couple Winnipeg Jets people that I follow that are talking about it right now. And I'm just like kind of scrolling through Twitter trying to catch up on the Batman stuff. And the whole idea of him believing that the Blackhawks had handled it when Aldrich resigned or whatever. Uh, someone mentioned that they probably sh- or he probably should have got a clue when he saw that Aldrich was working with USA Hockey a few months later. Mm. So like if the person was punished or fired or kicked out of hockey, they probably wouldn't have a high profile job right away. So clearly it wasn't handled (laughs) and like the idea that like, oh, well, if you just remove them from your organization, your liability is gone. Like, no, it's not. This guy went on to abuse a child, a child. (laughs) Like, I I just, I don't remember if I said it last show or not, or if it might've been on game over. But when I watched the Kyle Beach interview and they asked him about what he would say to the 16 year old who was abused in the high school student. And he just started breaking apart and crying and saying he felt he wanted to say that he was sorry as if it was his fault. It wasn't his fault, obviously, but the fact that none of these hockey men have that level of guilt about what went on, it makes me sick. And I understand that people are like, Oh, well, you know, there's other people involved and you, maybe it wasn't them who made, they weren't the shot caller. Like, I just don't care. Because you should all be out. You should all be out. Every yeah. single person should be out for life. And it took until, what, well, today is Monday when we record this. I think, unless the Blackhawks in one of their couple of statements said that they were sorry to Kyle Beach. The only person who said sorry is Gary Bettman because he, I was looking at the quotes and he, um, he had said that he was sorry to Kyle. And that was like one of the first times we had heard those words. I could be wrong in that one of the Blackhawks statements had said it afterwards, but... There's not enough people saying sorry to to Kyle, in my opinion. Like, really, really not enough uh, here. So not even close. Yeah, not even not even close. It's just, yeah, it's it is just it's really difficult. Um, and I have no idea if you know it really doesn't seem like Shovel Day Off is going to get any punishment whatsoever. We're just kind of going to forget about. Not we. I'm just saying the the NHL landscape is just kind of kind of move on from all of this. So it is a shame that, you know, we're going to let, like, it's going to be, it's going to get, it's going to slide, basically. I mean, I know we obviously have to talk about other hockey things on this podcast, but um, I think this is a good place to say that we will obviously continue to, con- like, report on this as um, best as we can as new information comes up. But it is, yeah, it is a sad ending to a very sad, sad upsetting horrific story 
It is. So we'll we'll pull the the handbrake and do a little e-brake turn here and try to talk about hockey and have a little bit of fun. But uh, just know that this is continually in the back of our minds and we are not pleased with the NHL's handling of the whole situation and heads should be rolling. And unfortunately, it seems like Quenville and Bowman are the only ones who have had to take the responsibility. And even then, I don't know, Quenville's statement was better than Bowman's was, but still, he went and coached that game, which is wild. It still blows my mind that that happened. But uh, coming up, we're going to talk about some crazy early season statistics. And uh, before then, we're going to talk about DirecTV Stream. Because if you want to actually watch this sport and uh, enjoy the interesting storylines that come about on the ice that are sometimes fun and not awful, like what we were having to talk about, you could check out DirecTV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, and you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. You can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part? There's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at DirecTV.com. That's DirecTV.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. All right, Mary. So there's some interesting stuff going on around the league on the ice. I think the my favorite one so far by far is Alex Ovechkin. Mm-hmm. He's going to break that record. Oh, and he, he really, uh, I'm so sad that his career has had so many stoppages in it between lockouts, COVID shortened seasons, et cetera, et cetera. He could have been, I don't know what, like a hundred point, a hundred goals closer, probably even more than that. Like he could even be, he, and there, there's an alternate universe out there where Alex Ovechkin is close to the doorstep uh, this season. Um, if he, if you know, he doesn't have to deal with multiple lockouts and COVID shortened seasons. I know that the numbers are out there with how many games he has missed and it is a staggering amount, but yes, I, I really do think he's going to break that record. He just shows no signs of stopping. It's, he is a, an absolute beast. We are so lucky to be watching someone like him now in the NHL. Um, and, but I, I can only think in the back of my head when he continues to score goals, which is great. Um, and awesome. And I'm so here for it, uh, that, you know, what could have been if like, how closer could he have been, um, had, the NHL not, you know, had a whole bunch of stoppages that weren't really, that weren't his fault at all. So, yeah. And I think about that a lot with like Sidney Crosby's career, right? Where the stoppages combined with the injuries that he suffered kind of robbed us of most of his prime. And like, what would his numbers look like? Because when players' careers are over, it always comes down to numbers, right? When you're, when you're looking back at it, you're looking at what were they able to actually accomplish throughout their time in the league. Ovechkin and Crosby are both like impeccable. You're you're never gonna find somebody who's gonna say that they aren't first ballot Hall of Famers with a bullet. But I feel like we we could have had even more. 
which is insane. Yes. You know, in and of itself. But uh, yeah, Ovechkin, was he on pace for 92 goals? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I don't think he's going to get that. No, he's not going (laughs) to get that, but he is well on pace to get 40 um, and probably and maybe even 50 this year. Uh, which is kind of what he needs to, that's kind of like the benchmark I think he needs to get over the next handful of years in order to break Gretzky's record. So he's, yeah. he's you know, well on his way. Uh, and it's definitely been one of the best stories. And one of the reasons why the Capitals have been um, so good this year is they go where Alex Ovechkin goes. Uh, and he scored, like, I think they've scored like 30 goals and he has nine of them or something like that. So he's nearly one third of the Capitals offensive uh, production, which is uh insane but we can also talk about someone else who is driving uh, the offensive production for his team and that's Connor mcdavid who is on a wild incredible 187 point pace with i believe like was it 14 points or 16 points in eight games i don't know it's something ridiculous the i mean we mentioned this i think last week or early last week or something like that he's just also incredible uh and is going to run away uh, with, you know, the scoring or the, you know, I guess point production this season. He's just incredible. So it is, yeah. the you know. The crazy thing about McDavid is he's slowed down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like his last five games, he's got three points, three points, two points, two points, one point in his last game. And that's slowed down from his first few games. Well, I guess he's only played seven games. But his first two games, like, it's ridiculous how dominant he has been. And I mean, I guess it's not because he's McDavid, but he hasn't gone pointless so far this season. Uh, the one point against Vancouver is the like the quote unquote worst game he's had this year. He hasn't gone more than a game without scoring. Like, man, he's, I thought that last year was like going to be the peak of McDavid, right? Because he, he played he in hit the one division. 100 points in 50 some games. And it yeah. was, yeah. And you, you think, like, it's not going to get any better than that, because how could it possibly get better than that? He looks like he has a gear that's better than that, <laughs> which is, my God. And the crazy thing is, like, he's not even, he's got seven goals in seven games, and his shooting percentage is only 2% higher than his career average. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> You're not, he's not even scoring on, like, 40% of his shots or anything. And it really, and it's... And it's helped by the fact that not his scoring, but uh, his point production is helped by the fact that this uh, Oilers offense is deeper than any iteration of the Oilers we've seen in some time. I mean, Zach Hyman has been a, you know, a blessing for this Oilers team. But overall, I think that they have the because you used to look at the score sheets and the, you know, stat totals for the Oilers. And it used to be McDavid and Dreisaitl were head and shoulders above everybody else. And they still kind of are, but at least the gap is a little bit lesser now, or at least it's still early, obviously. But that's what I've noticed when looking into things, that the, the, the gap is a little bit lesser than it than it used to be. It seems, you know, obviously McDavid is just elevating everybody, but everybody else, like the floor is kind of coming up to reach him just a little bit. Obviously, no one's in the same stratosphere as him, but they're the Oilers have raised their floor a bit, which is, you know, you're not going to get those ridiculous, like, McDavid and Dreisaitl account for, like, however much percentage of the Oilers scoring or whatever it is, like, 30, 40, 50 percent, whatever it used to be, because it's it used to hit ridiculous levels. Um, at least now it seems a bit more, obviously, a big bump at the top is McDavid and Dreisaitl or incredible but it it, the curve is it's smoother yes it's a little bit smoother it's not a sharp drop off like it used to be yeah and one of the big things driving Edmonton so far this year because like Edmonton's also been legit right like they've been really solid so far this year. one of the best teams in the NHL so far yes and one of the big things driving that is their power play 
their power play is currently clicking at 47.8%. Nearly nearly 50%. So half of the, basically nearly half of the power plays they take, they score on. That is yeah, ridiculous. It is completely insane. And they're also been, they've been killer on the PK as well. They're at 90% on the PK. So their special teams are definitely carrying them. Even strength, they're only okay. But their special teams are incredible. I feel like that's how they've always been, though, is their special teams of at least their it, power play has carried. It them. makes sense for the roster they have. Oh, right? yes. I mean, you never want to rely too much on special teams. But if you have McDavid and Dreisaitl, maybe you can rely a little bit. on. Yeah, your it's, a, it's a bit of a special case with them. It is. And they are scoring right now per 60 minutes on the power play. Twenty one and a half goals <sighs> per 60 minutes. Wow. <laughs> like, the league median is. Seven and a half. Jeez. So they're three times the league median <laughs> on the power play. The next best team is St. Louis, 14.6. Oh, my goodness. So they're like 50% above that. It's completely nuts. And the crazy thing is, yes, they're scoring significantly more than expected. But so are St. Louis. So are other hot power play teams like the Ottawa Senators and Carolina Hurricanes. But in terms of expected goals... They also lead the league at 12.62 per 60, and the next best team is 9.4. And the league median in that is, let's see here, 7. So, again, they're essentially doubling the expected goal production of an average NHL power play. That is obscene. It's obscene. Obviously, it's going to go down. Yes, a little. A little. Me, but, hopefully not, though. I feel that would be so fun. If they just had a fifty percent power play the whole year. It would, Andrew, but I don't think. I mean, I'm gonna try and look up quickly what their power play percentage has been for the last handful of seasons. But um, I don't. It was not that high. I could tell you no. that much. But still, like it would be a it would be a fun story. Yeah, their power play in and fifty six games last year was twenty seven point five nine, which is strong. Yeah, it's very strong. So that was but not forty seven per forty eight percent. Yeah, uh, twenty nineteen twenty, the COVID shortened season uh, was twenty nine point five. Uh, let me just go back one more year on hockey reference, and then they had a bit of a I guess more average year because I guess your average is around twenty percent uh, in twenty eighteen nineteen. There it was a twenty one point seven or one seven. So, so let's say based on what they're doing so far, let's say that they have the best power play that they've ever had. The additions at forward have really helped. I don't know if it's unreasonable to expect a thirty percent power play this year. I, I mean, they got close to it. That uh, I believe in the COVID shortened season, right? So. so, like, they could be almost as good as they look on the power play this year. Like, that's yeah, I could see it. It's not going to be itself. close to fifty percent, but I could no. see it. But I think that thirty percent is. Considering the firepower on this team, incredibly reasonable, which is wild to think, but it is incredibly it is. reasonable. All right, the last crazy stat from earlier in this early in the season is uh, maybe Mark Andre Fleury should have retired. Yeah, I remember we talked about this. I think early last week uh, that uh, Fleury probably should have retired because he lost his first five games of the Blackhawks. The first time he's done that since 2011-12, um, which is uh, over a decade ago, or I guess a decade ago. Uh, and that is, it, it, he's done so much good. Uh, I know that like early on in his career, when he was with the Penguins, he had, you know, his up and down moments, especially in the playoffs, you know, playoff flurry was like a whole big thing, but he's really, you know, solidified himself as an incredible goaltender, um, over the last, you know, during his uh, time with Pittsburgh at the end. And then, 
um, with Vegas, um, and then obviously all that culminating in a Vezina trophy, but he really should have retired. I don't think it was worth it. What was the point? Like, Yeah, I mean, it is, that's got to be creeping into his head, too. Or maybe it isn't because they're, like, hyper competitive. And he had a good... Yeah. His last game was really solid. So maybe he's starting to turn the corner. But his save percentage so far this year is 872. Yeah, He's allowing bad. over four and a half goals a game. This is just a miserable existence for him right now because the Chicago Blackhawks aren't going to get much better. No, I mean, they're like, probably going to win a hockey game, one would assume. Yes, they'll win eventually. Yeah, one would assume maybe. that they'll, yeah, hopefully, maybe, you know, it would it would be, you know, fitting for them not to win. But I don't think that, you know, the statistics will pan out that way. Uh, but yeah, the, the Blackhawks will at least, you know, get a little bit better in terms of statistics. Like they're, you know, they're going to win games. Flurry's going to at least you know, raise this average a little bit more. But they're not they're not a good team. We I I I never understood why people thought of them as stealth uh playoff contenders. Uh and I know that they had made a whole bunch of noise in the offseason with all those moves, but I just I I feel bad for Flurry because seems like a legitimately good dude and is now just stuck in the Chicago organization where it's you know, it's that gift of SpongeBob where everything's on fire and he's just like running around. That's kind of what that's kind of what it's like in Chicago right now. Uh, between you know uh, the assault stuff and the team does not have a win yet on the season, and they're in one of the bigger markets in the NHL and one of the most successful dynasties this league has ever seen, and it is not good. So I just I feel bad for Flurry. We've talked about that already, but I just. Yeah, it's it's not great, but let's hope he can turn it around a little bit um, and start to show why, you know, um, Chicago brought him in and why he won the Vezina Trophy last year. Because there's still a good goaltender in there, obviously. He doesn't just lose that overnight. No, he doesn't go from Vezina year to 872 save percentage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, the Chicago Blackhawks are a significant downgrade from the Golden Knights defensively as well. So it's there's a lot going on there, but Fleury is absolutely stuck in the churn of an organization that is in serious trouble. All right. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about Morgan Riley's extension with the Maple Leafs and whether or not it was a good idea because they've got some interesting cap issues to navigate for the near future. But before we do that, we got to tell you about bet online. We're back and better than ever. A wet new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds and lines than ever before. Bet online remains your number one spot for all of the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, the NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Mary. So this was one of the most interesting things that happened that week that kind of went under the radar because even though it's Toronto, there's just been more serious news and it just like has, maybe that's why they did it then. I mean, not to say that they're trying to hide the extension, but Morgan Riley signs an eight year extension that will take him through ages 28 to 35, which is already a pretty significant risk for a defenseman, as we've seen with players like P.K. Subban, Eric Carlson, Drew Doughty, significantly falling off around age 30, 31. Uh, 7.5 million annual average, which is not horrendous, 
right? It's probably a little bit under market value for a player like Morgan Riley who produces the points that he does, but it has a no movement clause throughout the contract, including a limited no trade clause the last two years. And it doesn't really dive down too much at the end, which is weird because it makes it kind of harder to move as well. But the biggest story in all of this to me is that the Leafs as currently constructed head into next season with five players taking up 59% of the salary cap. Because as we are told right now, the salary cap is flat for next year. I don't know if that's 100% sure, but it is likely that it'll still be 81.5%. So it's almost 59% of their cap in Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, Morgan Riley, and Willie Nylander. Can any team win with a salary structure like that? Yeah, I don't... It's tough because they're kind of the reverse um, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning where there's no real hometown, hometown discounts to be found here. I mean, you can make a you can make a case that, you know, Riley took a bit of a, a discount in terms of, you know, the money, but the, the term is eight years max uh, you're going to get. But it really feels like kind of the reverse because the Lightning have all those big names, but they were able to get them, you know, signs under their value and then were able to build a team with a bunch of death players that they were able to um you know grab on basically the bargain bin and build a team that way that's kind of how if the Maple Leafs are going to you know win a Stanley Cup um it's going to be I think at least in my opinion it's going to be from that route because having basically 60% of your salary cap tied to five players when you have a whole bunch of other players you need to sign on the roster it's big um and it does suck that we're in a flat cap era at least for now that could change but i think it's a good it's good to assume that we're going to continue in a flat cap uh era at least for the foreseeable future in the nhl but it does suck that they don't have that but you gotta do what you gotta do and it either this will pay off big time for the leafs and their big stars will show up and you know produce like they're being paid to produce or this all blow up in their faces and they have to trade one of them uh, to make room for guys. But they need to basically do the Tampa Bay Lightning model and find diamonds in the rough. Find, you know, guys that are on the bargain bin. Try and take some, not take risks, but, you know, try and grab guys that will complement the pieces you already have on the roster. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been what they've already had to do, right? Even before this Riley extension which is, I think it's about an extra $3 million on the salary cap to navigate. And like it, you, because of the ESPN and TNT deals, and Seattle, years, this might be, yeah, and Seattle, there might be like no issues. Like the cap might go up significantly depending on if revenue jumps. But I don't know. I'm just, I'm looking at this. And to me, I'm seeing the writing on the wall that if the Leafs don't get it done this year, one of those big three is gone. They have to at least win a playoff round. I don't think that they need to, you know, win the Stanley Cup, but they need I to. I think they need to win more than one. I think they need to at least hit the conference final. Okay. I think they just need to get over and win one round. Uh, I think that maybe that will at least satisfy the fans, maybe not ownership, but um, I still think that they have to win a round. Uh, but you make a good argument that, you know, it has to be more than that because, you know, I mean, they've constructed this, you know, team that is that looks that should be successful on paper with the amount of big names that they have and the pieces they have to complement them. But they haven't done that yet. And 
it's been a rough outing so far for the Maple Leafs this year. They kind of need some sort of spark to get them back in this. And, you know, it, yeah, I, it, it's really interesting with Toronto and I am looking forward to seeing what happens to them because either it's going to be a great story and they finally make it out of the first round or it's going to be a complete mess and people will be traded and that will be also fun as a outstanding, as a, you know, a bystander to all of this basically. Yeah, just not to be uh, breaking up the conversation a little bit, but if anyone who's a new listener didn't know that you were American, they will know now. Oh, as I said, said, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, my bad. No one pronounces the second T here as Toronto. Oh, well, I, I think I go. I think I go back and forth. I think I just emphasized it weird that time. Yeah, but no, you are. I'm... But you are right. I am not from Canada, as you can tell sometimes <laughs> by my uh, weird pronunciation of things well don't worry i've got my weird canadian pronunciation yeah sometimes when you say things like sorry or about and i'm like oh it's oh yes we're in canadian town now (laughs) canada town Mm -hmm. yeah yeah we definitely got a few of those i saw recently that apparently canadians say like writer differently writer and rider people can't tell the difference americans can't tell the difference when we're saying like Somebody who's writing something versus writing something. Mm. No, you sounded, you articulated it there, but I think that's I because you were- I could also be trying subconsciously. I think you were trying subconsciously too, so. Yeah. yeah well, we'll see if I catch you in the act next time. <laughs> be on the lookout. Mm-hmm. Always call me out when I have a Canadianism. Mm-hmm. I will. All right. But yes, I <laughs> going back to the Maple Leafs, I, yeah. It is. It, this is make or break for them. I don't think that it this is. is a bad move uh, because Riley is a good player. I mean, the defense of Toronto. I think the term is a bad move. Yes. Honestly. Okay, but I I don't think getting him signed is bad. I I know that people were talking that he might not come back. That you know, they might not be able to. Yes, the term is the killer here. It's not the it's not the you know the salary here that is terrible because you're right he did kind of take a discount it is the the eight years 30 uh, up to age 35 is you know we've seen it it's kind of a disaster area for defense but either you still are good or you're really 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 bad uh so there is no it really feels like there's no in between with defensemen but i still think this was a good move at least in the short term if they can you know get out of the first round and within the next couple years win that Stanley Cup while, you know, Riley's still in his prime before he, you know, really gets over age 30. I think this will, we'll look back on this and it'll be a good deal overall, but that's kind of how hindsight is, isn't it? So yes, we can say all we absolutely. want now, but you know, it doesn't really matter if, you know, things pan out different ways than we expect them to. Yeah, I'm I'm going to say that I don't believe it's tenable to have five players making almost 60% of the cap. Yeah, that's and, kind of unheard of, isn't it, in the NHL? Yeah, it is. I mean, even they're the only team that's ever had three, like, 10-plus million dollar players in their roster, right? Like, it's it's a lot to navigate. And I think I was watching the Steve Dangle podcast the other day, and I forget which episode it was. It might have been a, an old one, like, a week or two ago, because I'm way behind usually. But they were talking about how, like, every year the, the team has to, like scrape for these like uh diamonds in the rough guys like michael bunting andre kasha nick ritchie and kind of fill out the roster that way and some years you hit on a few of them and everything works out really nicely and some years they all kind of fizzle and it's like if you're constantly banking on that the fizzle years are just lost years right so like they have to have a little bit more flexibility if they want to have a cup window that lasts longer than the next few years, right? And I, I think at a certain point, they're going to have to make a decision here. And I know that they're kind of 
a little bit positive right now because Mitch Marner finally scored. He's starting to produce again. John Tavares has been playing great lately, and it's just like Matthews that needs to get going now. But at a certain point, with all these guys making $11 million, it's just I, I don't see if they can't have some success, how they can keep it together. It just doesn't make sense to me. And uh, I think this is the year where it's kind of make or break for that group that somebody is going to have to get subtracted to give them some flexibility. And it's not going to be Matthews, right? <laughs> There's no way in hell it's Matthews. So it's either Marner or Tavares. That's that's what makes sense. Uh, but yeah, we can probably move on from the late Maple Leafs, but not before I tell you about Bilt Bar. Oh, we got some new Bilt Bar ads here. It says, I love Thanksgiving. This must be American Thanksgiving, so we'll... Pretend I'm American. I'll try to pronounce everything American. All the good food and treats and plenty of them. But maybe you just want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. It's the perfect time for Built Bars. Built Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. But that's on the low end. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories and only 4 grams of sugar and plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with the coconut Built Bar. Or go for a raspberry built bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein. Covered in 100% real chocolate. Built is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a built bar or two. Share some at your family gatherings. It will make things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried built bar yet. New surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at built.com regularly. So check the site often. There's nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off of your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Well, that's exciting. New flavors for Built Bar, Mary? Yeah, it is. Uh, and I got, I'm trying to remember, I got like a, a funky mixed box of like uh, blueberry, I think like coconut brownie or something like that. Yeah, uh, I, I got that as well. I haven't tried those ones yet because I'm still working through the cookie dough ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, you know, spreading them around my family and so far so good. So far so good. Uh, definitely. Excellent. Uh, highly recommended um it was just i we got the box the first time and i was like "Ooh, neat and then we got another one a couple weeks later i was like wait this is gonna be a regular thing oh this is so nice but yes definitely recommend them i was actually pretty surprised at how much i liked the coconut brownie uh one because i'm not coconut uh, the like um the flavor i guess is good uh i'm not really a fan of the texture sometimes of it but it really didn't have that you know i guess iconic coconut texture uh but it was good it was really good definitely recommend yeah they're they're not bad uh so you finally finished squid game yes i have a lot of stuff because uh, i didn't want to talk i didn't want to not that i didn't want to talk about hockey i didn't want to uh focus on hockey while all that stuff was happening so i was trying to distract myself so i did a whole bunch of things last week that we never got to talk about because uh it's been a week since we did pop culture stuff so yes all right we might want to save some of it for the next show. <laughs> sure. I mean, I'm not going to do everything. I'm just going to mention what I okay. did. But finished okay. Squid Game. Did you want to... You mentioned, I think, that you didn't like the ending. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the ending. Okay. Uh, It was more... Pre- not predictable, but it felt in line with, like, um, you know, a t- humanity just wanting to, you know, play games and, you know, you have so much money, they need to feel something. I wasn't surprised at that. Uh, it felt... Oh. It, it felt the very... reveal wasn't what I didn't like. It was just uh, the main character's decision at the end. Oh, to, try to go to, like... back. 
Yeah, I was like, oh, buddy, don't go back. (laughs) But at least it kind of sets them up for a, um, you know, if they want to do a second season. My my interpretation is that he didn't want to go back to necessarily win. I think he wanted to go back to, uh, because he doesn't need the money, obviously. No, he wanted to take them down. Yeah, he wants to take them down. So I I kind of am intrigued by that. He Realistically, if this was real life, he should have just gotten on the plane and let it all go. But for the sake of drama, I'm okay with him leaving because, you know, leaving to go back to do it again because there could be some really interesting stuff there, but it'll probably all end in dramatic uh sadness because that's how things always end up it seems yeah i think for me it was it was him calling the number and basically telling them that he was going to go after them i was like dude these guys have so much power and money just like you've got some good amount of money you can do that on the down low go after them it could be like would that make for as much of a dramatic show andrew i think sure (laughs) because you could play it out as like them having another games and the whole time he's got like an investigation that he's paying for like private investigators trying to sneak in so there's like two subplots right and then they don't know that this is happening until the very end or maybe you think they don't know but the whole time they've been managing the whole thing and he could get outflanked whereas this is like they know that he's coming after them so it's going to be much more difficult for him to get anything accomplished even though he has a lot of money so to me i i think that they could have set it up a lot more intelligently considering how much more intelligent like the rest of the series was but uh Good, good show. Yeah. We'll probably watch the next season. I, I hope that they take some time, though. I, I don't want yes. them to, like, you know, try and rush it because of the popularity. I, I hope that they, you know, take some time and are like, okay, what makes sense here? Because I don't think it's going to work. It can't work the same. We know the gimmicks. We know the, you know, we know the people behind the mask, basically. I mean, I still have some questions on, you know, how and why it all works. But I hope that that stuff is kind of explained. But it is sad that, the, you know, the allure of, like, the games is kind of, like, the neat part of that show. Uh, You know, it's one of those things where, like, you can still do it, but, like... We we know how it's gonna go. We've we've seen it play out, but still a great show, definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, you also watched. Dune, I also yes, I watched Dune uh, the other night. Uh, I have not. And that was it. Was good. It's if you watch it, I definitely recommend looking up if you're not familiar with the books, looking up some sort of like guide in terms of like the words because they will toss out words at you and they won't kind of explain what's going on. I mean, they do a little bit of explaining, but like not to the, you know depth they they just kind of explain it and move on and don't give you time to really think so then they toss a whole bunch of things at you but it was very good cinematography was great um there were some really cool you know set piece moments uh that i'm still thinking about uh definitely intrigued for the next one it's not like a whole bunch of stuff happens uh especially in the the like second half after like the one big moment in the middle but it's still very good uh performances were good um definitely recommend it but if you are not a fan of the books i would look up some of the terms beforehand so you're not pausing and you're like okay i need to look at a guide while you're 20 minutes in and they throw different terms at you and they're like i don't know what this means i need someone to explain this so yeah so that was good uh and i'll just rapid fire i finished uh final fantasy 14 shadowbringers which is the latest expansion before the new one comes out this month great game all of the feels really feeling it um and I have, like, I think 50 quests before I'm caught up with the story itself. So I should hopefully get that done within the next three weeks. And then, like I said earlier, uh, my family and I went to uh, a Broadway show over the weekend. We saw Six, which is a a pop musical about the Six Wives of Henry VIII. Also highly recommend. Great soundtrack. 
just a really fun time. I mean, we're a big musical family, and it was definitely not like any musical we've seen, because it's basically just a pop concert. Uh, and there was nice. no intermission either. It was just 100 and not 120 minutes, uh, an hour and 20 minutes, just straight on through. No intermission. Well, that's fast for a musical. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was really good. And by the time, it, like, it didn't really lag. It, like, it, the you know, there were songs, there were jokes. Um, and then by the end, I was like, can't we just go again? Like, can we just do it all again? <laughs> so it was great. Definitely, definitely recommend. Uh, so I did a lot of pop culture over the last uh, week. So what about you, Andrew? Uh, I started watching a new series from Mike Flanagan on, on Netflix called Midnight Mass yeah, every October. Yeah, every October now he comes out with a series for Netflix that started with The Haunting of Hill House, which oh, okay. to this day is still the best one. Uh, last year was The Haunting of Bly Manor, which was, it was okay. It wasn't as good. The ending didn't really live up to the setup at the beginning. Uh, Midnight Mass seems to be better than Bly Manor, but not as good as Hill House. He also has like... He's like the epic horror writer of our time, I think. Like <laughs> He has a really uh, solid couple of films that came out a while ago that not many people have checked out uh, called Oculus and Hush that are kind of like psychological thrillers in a lot of ways. And uh, he also wrote Doctor Sleep in 2019. So he's involved in everything. He's I really love his work. Uh, him and his wife stars in everything that he uh does as well she's awesome yeah i mean if you're uh looking for i guess post halloween stuff to watch uh because we are really you, you can still i know we talked a lot about christmas on the show but we you can still enjoy halloween over the next couple of days um i i you know it's it's nice to be in the fall spirit and whatnot so i absolutely it could be spooky season if you're still feeling spooky yeah spooky season all day all the time and then you can switch to you know uh cozy season with me and my you know christmas lights and my christmas tree that poor luna will probably try and tear down so that's gonna be that's <laughs> that's the real reason why i'm uh gonna start gonna like waning a little bit on my tree because i'm like how will luna react to this so I guess stay tuned to see how my cat reacts to a Christmas tree for the first time. Yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's all we have for you today on the Crosscheck NHL show. Thanks so much for making us your first listen every Tuesday and Thursday. Now make your second listen, the Locked On Fantasy Hockey Podcast, starring, or not starring, but hosted by Scott Cullen. We'll say starring Scott Cullen. He's a star. He leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight and experience every day to help you be the expert of your fantasy hockey league. It's free and available on all platforms.